0: Let us now turn in our Bibles to the Song of Songs, also known as the Song of Solomon. It will be the book right before Isaiah. It's not one we often read or hear about. But we will attempt to open and to sit at the feet of this word. So, Song of Songs, we'll turn to chapter 2, verse 15. The Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, where it reads. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Let's pray and ask God's blessing at this time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we lay our hearts open before you, that we may be known that the light of the gospel of your word may shine forth within our hearts, exposing anything that does not belong. Lord, please bind this word to us today in our various places that we are at. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you may be wondering, where does the title of the sermon come from? And is it a typo? It is not a typo. It it says... Brayer Fox, he lay low. Now, I believe the writer of this story was Joel Chandler Harris, but he's a man who grew up in an era of American history in which there was slavery, and he grew up around the slaves, and he was very much influenced by the oral culture, the way of storytelling. In fact, there's a rich heritage within America where an oral tradition, where stories are handed down generation after generation after generation by these storytellings. And so this man basically brought forth all of these stories into one place or a series of books. And the main storyteller or narrator was a man named Uncle Remus. And no doubt, it was a man in which Mr. Harris probably sat at his feet listening to the stories. And so the story of the wonderful tar baby is when these happy creatures in this place called the Briar or the Brer, are not exactly friends with one another. And Brer Fox is attempting to eat Brer rabbit. And so he can't catch him. He always seems to elude his traps, but he thinks of a clever plan in which he takes pitch or tar and he makes it look like a child and sets it in the way. And as Br'er Rabbit comes along, he attempts to say hello to what he thinks is a baby, a young child, but the child does not respond, remains mute. And he becomes increasingly frustrated by this impertinent rudeness, And so he ends up striking the child, but it turns out, it being a ball of pitch, he gets stuck. And all the while, Br'er Fox, as the refrain says, he lay low. He's watching. He's waiting for that moment in which Br'er Rabbit is hopelessly stuck. And then he's going to consume him for a meal. The reason why I thought of that title is because I believe that this book... In particular, this verse shows something of that. How the foxes lay low for us to be stuck in a place where we are vulnerable, to be consumed, to be struck down by our fleshly desires, the world, and Satan. And so, I believe it's an apt image of what's happening here in Song of Songs, verse 15 of chapter 2. Now, this book has a bit of a reputation. Most people don't read it, or they skip over it. The rabbis would say that it was a book that shouldn't be read until you're either married or were at least north of 30. Of course, it's a silly thing, and it's a bit of a, a, bit of a tongue-in-cheek joke, but there, is a, there, there are images in this book that dealing with marital love that very much caution should be used. But it's not to be skipped over. In fact, no, we should pour over this, whether we are married or not, whether we are south of 30 years old and unmarried, or we are north of that. It is the Word of God. And indeed, it's an analogy of Christ's love for the church Now, don't make any mistake, it is also, in fact, primarily, first and foremost, it is speaking of the beauty of marital love, in which God has made, it is his, it has the registered trademark upon it. The world does not own it. But it is also giving us an image of how much this special love in which Christ has for his bride. And so what is the theme here of this text? Well, it's pretty clear that vineyards need protection. That's our theme. Vineyards need protection, especially from foxes. Let's look at that in three points. First, we must know the threat. Second, we must know what is being threatened. And third, we must know how to protect and protect. Who does the protecting? And so to our first point, knowing the threat. The imagery of foxes here is not uncommon across cultures. In fact, if I were to ask you to think of foxes and what does that mean, what is that a metaphor for, what is that analogy of, we would often think of something scheming, something conniving, something that is tricky deceptive. Well, it's no different in the ancient world as well. In fact, in ancient Egypt, a fox was often a descriptive title for someone who would prey upon women who were married to inappropriately have a relationship with them, to cause them, to woo them into adultery. And it was much the same here in Israel. In fact, the context for this verse, as is speaking of marital love, is that their vineyard is in blossom. There's this young love that's coming about. It's building. It's, it's marriage-bound. And so, therefore, she must put away the foxes from her. It's not to say that she is promiscuous, but she must forsake all others. As our marriage vows often say. Now, literally speaking, foxes would damage vineyards by gnawing at the branches, tearing off the bark, eating the fruit, especially as it came to be very young fruit, and digging up the roots. In fact, vineyards, when they are struck in this way, they rot and they smell terrible. It is truly an image of death and destruction. Now, you may see, especially if you're using the Pew Bible, that it has a, a footnote where it talks about jackals. Perhaps if you're not using the Pew Bible, your Bible may also still say it. There are similar words in Hebrew. Foxes and jackals. That's also not very positive imagery. In Scripture. In fact, the images are often surrounding that of desolation, of destruction. Foxes or jackals are the hallmark of desolation. You often find this in Isaiah and elsewhere in the prophets, where Jerusalem shall be laid bare. It shall be sometimes termed a haunt for jackals, meaning. The only thing that you will find there is wildlife, jackals specifically, foxes, running unhindered, no one to keep the area, no no one to keep these predators out. It's also an image, mind you, of corrupt or predatory leadership. These foxes or jackals were often those who would prey upon the people of God, seeking to dupe them. Not caretaking for the orphan or the widow, the vulnerable of society. No, instead, they would fleece the sheep. And then it's also an image of the reversal of the dominion mandate. God is a God of order, He wants things done decently and in good order. Our worship is to be done decently and in good order. Our lives are to reflect a decent good order. And of course, he girds us up to do that. However, who loves chaos? Who loves dissension and strife, schism? It's Satan. The kingdom of Satan, the domain of Satan, is often marked by chaos. And so therefore... These jackals, these foxes are an image of the prince of darkness. The false light, the deceiver, the accuser. Dominion that man is supposed to exercise upon the earth is being reversed and wildlife takes over in a way that, is, that leads to chaos, death, destruction, famine, drought. Ezekiel Chapter 13, verse 4, says this. Your prophets have been like jackals. You could read foxes. Among ruins, O Israel. And in Luke, chapter 13, verse 32, what does Jesus say when the Pharisee, when some Pharisees come and say, Herod wants your life? He says, you tell that fox. He labels Herod a fox, a predatory fox abusive leader in the land, one who cast down those he was charged to care for. So, There's much imagery. There's much of what foxes are. It is not a good image. We know them, dear saints, we know them to be sins as well. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes, We're not talking about a person plotting murder and going and committing it right off the bat. No. In fact, these little sins start small. It's envy. It's greed. It's coveting what your neighbor has. Telling a lie here and there. Making yourself look better than what you really are. Being dishonest. Lusting. And then by degree... It changes until finally, as Cain was warned, the sin is ready to consume you. It is waiting to consume you. Its desire is to have you. Indeed, James speaks of it in the way of conception. You don't come out of the womb a full grown human, that'd be catastrophic but you start small and grow and so James uses that same image of sins that start small, they're conceived they gestate they are born and then that sin turns and consumes the one has given birth to it and so foxes are sins that in individual Christians we have but as was alluded to as, as well before predatory leadership, leading to desolation, destruction, reversal of dominion. They are also antichrists, to use John's terminology. They are those who sneak and deceive the saints, and perhaps are even deceived themselves. Little foxes are harmful heresies that start small, typically from two areas— Logical concerns and concerns of godliness or piety. Think of some of the greatest heretics that have ever existed in the church. In fact, one of your elders, Mr. Luchabor, does a podcast on church history, and I'm sure he will cover some of these people, but one of them, Arius, or sometimes pronounced Arias, was a man in the 300s who read the scriptures and logically saw that Jesus was a created being and that is not the man from Nazareth but the son of God it was a logical concern he didn't understand if God is one how could there be three Jesus must have been the first and greatest creation by which all things were created the son of God had to have been something which the father made but that is not true Yet, he made his own ability of reasoning, which is limited, and forced it upon the word. He was a fox. He was deceptive. He had a care and a concern, and he was convinced of it. As far as for piety or godliness, think of Pelagius. He was a British monk in the dark ages in which he saw Christians all around him practicing what we would call today easy believism. I I mean, I I was baptized. Yeah, I gave profession of faith. I I mean, I go to church. I I must be saved. I may not live a very godly life, but God likes forgiven and I like sinning, so it works out fine, doesn't it? And so Pelagius saw this and said, no. Rightfully, he said no. And so he believed that Jesus was just the greatest example of godliness. And that Adam was the greatest example of ungodliness. And that you were kind of a blank slate to choose one or the other. That you could choose to be saved or not to be saved. That's an overly simple way of putting it. But he put everything in man's hands. He was a fox. He was a deceiver. He diminished God and elevated man. And so therefore, these foxes that lay low, whether they be our sins, or sinners who seek to deceive the sheep, even themselves being deceived. They are the threat, dear saints. The vineyard needs protection from these foxes. And so that brings us to our second point. What needs protecting? Well, the vineyard. Of course, we literally know what that means, keeping these little rascals out, but... Obviously, the Bible means more than just that. It means more than just being a good farmer, though that is important. Vineyards are often in Scripture used to speak of the prosperity of which God has planned for his people. Now, dear saints, this isn't a prosperity gospel gospel. That if you just have enough faith, you can have that brand new car. If you just have enough faith, you can have whatever it is you want. That's not what's being spoken of here. No, the vineyard is prosperity of God's people, being in submission to God, enjoying Him, glorifying Him. It's man's chief end. It's what He was made to do. Well, the world just stumbles around and says, Why are we here? We know. We are here to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We do so in the vineyard of God's creation. It's prosperity for God's people. It's a context for God's people to dwell. And at times in scriptures, especially in Isaiah, this vineyard, this beautiful place, this place where fruit is borne out and the people enjoy the, the, the labor of their hands is often threatened by foxes, by jackals, by predatory, wicked leaders, by people's sins, their conceit. And Jesus often had references as well to vineyards and his parables. Think about how many parables of Jesus, and perhaps your Bible has the parables of Jesus in the back, and I think that's a helpful tool where you can go through and see that. And just look, count up how many times in all the Gospels you see vineyards use as an example that Jesus speaks. There's something good and prosperous, and yet there's wicked workmen, hirelings, there's these wicked servants who do wrong by the owner of the vineyard. But what does it mean more to us specifically? Yes, it's a prosper or the, the, the the context of prosperity for God's people. I think we can see that in three ways: the vineyards that need protection from foxes are our individual walks and witnesses. As individual Christians, our marriages and the church. Did I leave anybody out? No, no, that's right. That's everybody. If you're an individual, which you are, you're a Christian which I hope you to be, then you must protect the vineyard of your individual walk and witness. As a Christian, married, single, young, old. If you are married, you have a vineyard together as one. And I see you here in church, which means that perhaps you believe, and you believe rightly, that you are part of the broader church across the globe and across history. How many saints right now are meeting up to glorify God? It's a vineyard in which God has given. It needs protection. Don't let the foxes terrorize your walk and your witness, your marriage, or the church. And so this brings us to our third point. We must know how to protect these vineyards and we must know who does the protecting. Let's just jump straight to the point. It is Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, that the Song of Songs is an analogy of Christ's love for his church, for his bride. And so he is the one who is tasked or charged to protect her, so he is the one who enables people to do those things in which he's called them to, and that is to protect their walk and their witness, their marriages, and indeed the church. Take a moment with me and turn over to Ephesians, keep your finger back on on Song of Songs though, but turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 5. give you a moment to get there. But Ephesians chapter 5, and we will look at verses 22 to 33, and I'll read those for you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands may be thinking, yeah, that's right. That's right. But wait a minute. What does he say? What does Paul say here? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's right, men. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to, the, to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's a task for the for the husband and wife, and yet, was he say, was Paul say, This is a profound mystery, meaning something that which is was mysterious before but is now revealed to show that Jesus loves his people. What does he say? Verse 23, as head and savior of the church, which is his body, that's how he protects. In verse 25, in that he gave his life to deliver her, he does so out of love. Verses 26 and 27, he loves her and presents her without blame or blemish, anything that would mar her reputation. And therefore what? Verse 24. Therefore the church is subject to Christ as a submissive wife. That's who does the protecting. You can't do what Jesus did. He has done it for you. He said it is finished. And he has equipped you to go out and do protecting, as he has called you to, your individual walk and witness, and your marriages, and of course the church. But how? What are the means by which we are called to do this? Well, through ministers and elders of the church, they must catch the little foxes early. Elders in the room, brothers, This is for you. God has called you, brothers, to protect the flock, to be in their lives, to watch over your own lives. He has called you, brothers, to love your wives, your children, and to love these people. It's not easy, but He has equipped you. How has He equipped you, brothers? He has died for you Christ has died for you in your place in your place condemned he stood and he lives for you and he's given you his spirit and not only that he's given you a vocation a calling to carry out in the name of love in the name of Jesus Christ so that means everyone else can sit back and relax they'll take care of everything isn't that right no I don't think so Saints, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You were called to be part of a neighborhood watch, so to speak. You were to be in each other's lives. What needs do you have? What prayer requests, what hand of fellowship must be offered to you that you can do amongst yourselves? I know it's hard without a pastor. I know that the elders, they're working overtime to shepherd you and to love you. And they do. Believe you me, they do. But you can help ease that burden. You can be in each other's lives. As was prayed earlier, you guys are a family. Not just part of, like, the broader family of Jesus, which is wonderful, but you are a family here. Siblings together in Christ. So be in each other's lives. Love each other. Bear each other's burdens. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And you deacons, brothers, your calling is unique. It's not a diminished calling. It's not elder junior. It's a unique office in which you've been given It's a beautiful office. It's a role to be played out in the church, as we learn in Acts, so that other work can happen. Oftentimes, overseeing the finances. But understand that you also pray for and pray with those who need prayer. You have a unique role for the people to come to you with their burdens. Their needs to be met. And dear saints, please go to them. If you have a need, please go to them. See how they can ease your burden. Brothers, you deacons, let me give this charge to you. Let me remind you of your calling and how wonderful it is. Proverbs 30, 8 and 9 says, Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Brothers, your work is to mitigate the potential of profaning God's name and the poverty of the saints. That's how you play a unique role, all you officers of the church. That's how you play a unique role in shepherding and caring for the body. And all you saints, all of you, it's how you reciprocate that love. Make their burden, their calling easy, make it light love them and love each other. And especially now, dear saints, as you guys wait for a pastor, I know it's hard. I know there's been ups and downs and disappointments, but Jesus is with you. Jesus has protected you thus far, and he will bring you through. I promise you that. Let me shift a little bit Because that was for the church, especially, which, of course, comes down to our individual walks and witnesses and our marriages. But let me address those who are in marriage just briefly. Let me first start with those who are considering marriage. And I don't know who all here is or who is listening in, but don't unduly delay marriage. Don't put your purity on the line. The Westminster larger catechism in question and answer 139 says that undue delay of marriage falls under the category of adultery because it leads it can lead to impurity, it can lead to fornication. Don't be surprised. If you fall into that temptation or that temptation is pressed upon you, it is quite natural. But don't delay it. Find a godly man and woman and primarily be among the pastor and elders of whatever church body you're a part of, this body here. Find those saints who have been in the race longer than you have and look to them. Ask them for help. Ask them to pray with you and for you. Don't delay longer than necessary. Don't be caught up in the, we must have the perfect wedding day. No. You want a nice wedding day, but it's focusing on the the door of the rest of the house. You don't want to spend all your money and all your time on the front door. But you want to protect that which you're building together. And for those of you who are in marriage, talk with one another. Listen to one another. Be gentle with one another. You have a front row seat on the struggles of your spouse. It's not always pretty. But love them and bear with them. Be patient. And I'll say, read between the lines, but don't withhold from each other. You belong to one another. The vows you've taken says that I belong to you and you belong to me. Do not withhold that good gift from one another. If you're angry, put away the the anger. If there are things that are happening that are causing division, put those things away. Because God has made that you are to be together and to love one another and to ratify that love every time it comes to you. Frequently, be with one another. Because you must understand that the little foxes that threaten that vineyard of marriage is perennial. Happens frequently. It's not a one and done. Set it and forget it. Well, I've put to death those little foxes. They're out of the vineyard, so I'm all good. No, you're going to battle those little buggers all your life. Don't let them grow into life-destroying sins. Know that Christ has done this for you, has called you to it, and he has equipped you by his spirit to do so. Let me close with this quote, dear saints. It's from a a commentary I was reading on the subject, and I thought it it was quite good. The admonition that he gives, and that is, of course, Solomon writing, but who is the one who carries along the writers but God? It's God's word. The admonition which God gives us is to guard against and suppress those little foxes which destroy the tender vines And would disturb the peace of his beloved dove. This is a charge to every believer to suppress his own sinful nature. Those evils of our nature that may seem little in our own eyes. Anger, wrath, gossip, slander, peevishness, evil speaking. It must be avoided for the good of Christ's kingdom. There are other little foxes that would destroy the peace of God's church. They too must be taken out of the way. All doctrinal error. All theological error. All that is contrary to the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace in Christ. Every little fox of free will, works religion must be kept out of God's vineyard. Every little fox of schism, strife, and division must also be put away lest they spoil the vineyard. For the honor Of our beloved, for the good of our own souls and for the good of our brethren, for the good of our marriages, we must constantly guard against these little foxes of hell. Dear Saints, the vineyard needs protection. It needs protection because it's threatened by foxes. And you know that vineyard is your individual walk and witness, no matter how old you are. Your marriage is if you are married and in the church. But know that Jesus Christ is the one who does the protecting. He has protected you and he has equipped you to carry out these things, to protect that vineyard. Whatever vineyard you have, that you may have prosperity in the Lord. Amen, dear saints? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we lift up that we all have little foxes running around, these little jackals that would, that would threaten to undo those good vineyards you've given us. Lord, we all have been given a walk and a witness, a testimony of the gospel. May we not spoil that. Lord, We've some of us have been given marriage. Some of these little ones will grow to be married someday. May those vineyards be protected in their time, Lord. Lord, for the church, may the officers of this church be strong in their tasks of which they've been called to, and may the saints show them love and appreciation, thanking them for their sacrificial calling that is often thankless. And dear saints, may there be love here. Maybe you can light truly be a beacon of light. Like a lighthouse upon the beaches, warning others, beckoning them to a safe harbor. Lord, we thank you for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to pave the way for us, to do and to accomplish that which we could not, which is our salvation, to equip us to live godly lives before your face. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray all of this with thanksgiving, with sobriety of the threat. Be with us this day. Help us to put out the little foxes that our vineyards may be plentiful and fruitful. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.